May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. The text for our meditation on this, the second Sunday in Easter, is found in our gospel lesson recorded in St. John's 20th chapter, which we just heard a moment ago. But we hear again these words of our Lord. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As always, we proceed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, it's the second Sunday in Easter, which can mean only one thing. We get to pick on poor St. Thomas, doubting Thomas, as we do every year on this Sunday. We get to critique his stubbornness on his insistence of getting hard evidence and proof of Jesus' resurrection rather than taking the mere word and testimony of his fellow disciples who have seen the risen Lord when he wasn't present at first, so on their account by what they're telling him. I'll contend that doubting Thomas is an unfair title for this otherwise very faithful disciple who tradition tells us brought Christianity as far afield from Jerusalem as India to the coast of India, all the way there, ultimately dying as a martyr for the faith. Now, one of the things I'll hang that case on, that this is an undeserved moniker for Thomas, is that among other things, and among all things, that Jesus is to us and was to the disciples as well. He was and is, first and foremost, Rabboni, Rabbi, teacher, and master instructor. Jesus teaches through his parables. Jesus is teaching when he has exchanges with opponents and allies alike throughout the Gospels. Even when Jesus is doing miracles, healings, causing the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear again, the mute to speak. Even when he is doing all these, these miracles never stand alone just for their own sake, but they're always accompanied by a lesson, by a revelation, by a learning objective of some kind. It's always so that you may believe this miracle is granted. And then Jesus has a teaching to unfold to them, accompanying to, with it. Why then, of all things, would Jesus' greatest miracle, his resurrection, be any less than the ultimate teachable moment of the master to his learners? In the wake of this, the ultimate lesson from the master instructor to his disciples, I propose that Thomas shouldn't be called Doubting Thomas because Thomas's doubt isn't the issue here at all. Thomas's issue is his learning style. Now, during the 1970s, there was a learning theorist named Daniel Kolb. Some of you may be familiar with his work, even use it on a day-to-day -day basis. He was responsible for what's called the experiential learning cycle or the experiential learning model. And a big part of what made that model go is identifying different types of learners. A major part of this theory was, was understanding the learning styles of many types of students, if you were an instructor or a teacher. What was found through research is that the classic lecture, which most of us who are Gen X or older probably endured as the main way we got taught, was the Charlie Brown teacher, womp, 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 right? 
It was found that even a dynamic lecture, think about somebody who taught you in college and could enthrall everybody, somebody who's worthy of a TED talk, even a really good lecturer could only sustain about 20% of the knowledge with his learners, his or her learners long-term. If you were to test them later, even if they remembered a great lecture, they could only recall and regurgitate 20% of what they were taught through word, spoken word, written word, through lecture alone. It wasn't good enough. 20%! If that were baseball, that's nowhere near getting in Cooperstown, right? And you only need three hits out of every 10 at-bats for that, probably. You'd be sent back down to Trenton, back down to AAA if you were batting 200, right? So lecture didn't cut it. Knowing this through research, Cole proposed his learning styles, that other learners had to be reached in a myriad of ways. Very few could grasp concepts through traditional lecture. The few who could, and there were some and are some today, that could grasp knowledge purely through lecture, through spoken word, written word, giving them a reading assignment, go read this book and come back and, and have the concept in your mind. Some can do that to this day. Those people were called abstract conceptualizers. Really good at just seeing that model, reading a text, understanding a formula immediately, don't need any application, don't need any hands-on. Well, for everybody else, for the rest of us, other ways to learn were and are needed. This is what Kolb came up with. This was most especially true of those who could only truly learn through what they called a concrete experience, a deeply felt and experienced encounter with a lesson that they had. So let's try to square this theory with what we know about St. Thomas, dear friends in Christ. St. John's Gospel often portrays Thomas as a very pragmatic and concrete thinker. He's very upfront and very blunt. When Jesus talks about them not being able to go the way that he will have them go, they, he simply comes up, Lord, how do we know the way? You haven't told us the way. He's quick to go, we can't do this exercise. We don't have enough information yet. We haven't experienced it. It's not so much that Thomas is a doubter then, like we call him doubting Thomas, but rather that he's a person that needs to experience, a person that needs a plan of action. Thomas needs specific directions. Thomas needs clear goals. Thus, maybe, his demand for proof that Jesus has risen isn't so much about his doubt, but more about his needing to have his faith strengthened and reinforced less by words, concepts, and ideas, and more by actions and encounter. Maybe Thomas can't learn these spiritual lessons through discussions. Maybe he can't learn through conferences. Maybe he can't learn through sermons and definitely not lectures, let alone by giving him a reading assignment to go and do some research, by analyzing case studies, or even, as the case is early in our gospel, of interviewing and hear the words of eyewitnesses and analyzing what they have to say. Maybe Thomas has to comprehend things for himself through visible, tangible experiences and encounters. Considering this, Considering this as his possible learning style, maybe we can understand why Thomas seems critical of the fellow disciples, even skeptical of their testimony, maybe even suspicious of the disciples' initial report. 
Why? Because he's hearing it, it's not registering with him, but it also doesn't square with his concrete reality and his own experience of what he's just gone through over the past few days. Think about what he's gone through. The narrative that Thomas has witnessed with his own eyes is that he's seen Jesus, his Lord, his teacher, his master, his friend. He's seen him be arrested. He's seen him be unfairly tried by a kangaroo court at midnight and then tortured, ultimately handed over and crucified. This alone would have been shocking and traumatizing enough for St. Thomas to have seen that, to have experienced that on the surface. But on a deeper level, he was probably even more psychologically and intellectually shocked. He'd be thinking, this is all horrible what's happened, but more than that, everything that I've been taught and to believe my whole life has just been turned on its head. When I've learned about the Messiah and the Son of God who would come, this isn't supposed to happen to Messiahs. Messiahs don't endure this kind of injustice. They don't undergo this kind of humiliation. This is devastating. This was probably devastating to Thomas's health and well-being, his behavioral health well-being, but also to his faith. It would have rocked him to the core. And now, his friends are telling him, through their words, their account, that God has raised Jesus from the dead, thus proving that Jesus really is the Messiah, the very Son of God, just as he claimed to be. But he hasn't seen anything. But, but only heard their words. At this point, Thomas might be afraid. Thomas might be afraid to hope that Jesus really is alive. Why? He might be fearing that it will be just too painful to believe that on the word of his fellow disciples, only to find out that it's not true after all, and that Jesus isn't really risen from the dead. They were just being overly optimistic. There's nothing in St. Thomas's reality that can convince him that this is possible at all. Nothing that he's gone through would indicate this is believable. Now Jesus, the righteous teacher, the master educator, he knows his learners, knows the disciples, he knows Thomas, he knows you and me, dear friends in Christ. He knows his students better than they can ever possibly know themselves. So Jesus gives Thomas the ultimate concrete learning experience that he needs so badly to comprehend this lesson. Jesus arrives on the scene and invites Thomas to touch his wounds. Go ahead. Put your hand here. Even you imagine Jesus taking his hand and saying, go ahead. Interact with me. Here it is, the concrete experience you need. Jesus invites him and engages Thomas' senses. Thomas hears Jesus' voice. Thomas sees his Lord's face. Thomas even touches his hands and his side. And through this powerful concrete experience, Thomas is the first human being recorded to speak the truth that is revealed by the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. He gets to be the first to react to this divine lesson. He begins to grasp that ultimate learning outcome of this epic divine lesson of our Lord. And he responds my Lord and my God. A big moment. From an instructor's perspective, this would be a great accomplishment with your student. But Jesus isn't done yet. The master instructor isn't finished yet. The instruction, the lesson learning isn't done yet. Jesus tells Thomas and the disciples and us, brothers and sisters, 
that who, those who believe without such a concrete experience, they're actually the ones who are truly blessed. Not those who, are, who like Thomas, got that delivered to them, but those who believe and have not seen. This might not sit well with Thomas and the disciples at first. It might not sit well with many of us at all either as well. And it's certainly not saying you have to be one type of learner or another in order to understand and comprehend and be impacted by the gospel message. But it might not sit well with us. Like Thomas, we might long for those tangible, those audible, those visible signs that tell us that Christ is risen so that we may reply with, Alleluia. Had to get it in there. Check on learning. We probably won't have the experience, dear friends in Christ, of touching Jesus' wounds, not in the same way that Thomas got to by any stretch. But... Jesus promises that the generations of believers who will come after that time throughout the centuries, that's us, by the way, that he's talking about, that they are more blessed than Thomas and those first believers because they haven't seen and yet they believe. That that's a greater, more powerful reality. Your friends, that's our reality and that's our teacher's ultimate lesson for us this morning on the second Sunday in Easter. Even so, we don't toss St. Thomas aside. He's a great example for us. He still plays an important part in unfolding this learning outcome to us. He was part of Jesus' first experiential learning cycle that he did with the disciples that day. And therefore, Thomas went before us to show us and as an example of what to look for. He's part of this as well. And so we can believe because we can find the risen Lord in so many other places as well. We share in Thomas's learning experience every time we recognize that sin, that death, that the power of darkness that we encounter every day in this broken world, that brokenness itself, they're not the final word. They're not the final outcome. They're not the final learning outcome or the final reality for us. Now, they're real as real as an F3-4 tornado ripping through Little Rock, they're real. No doubt about that. But just like Jesus' death on the cross, death really is dead once and for all. For the one who dies, it seems like there is no hope. For those who mourn, it seems as though there will be no end or relief to their sadness and to their grieving. But the cross and the resurrection tell us something very different, brothers and sisters. Every time good conquers evil, we have the opportunity to see that life wins over death. That's a little reflection and a reminder of the death, resurrection, and victory of Easter, dear friends in Christ. For many, this might still be way too much of an abstract concept. These divine truths might still be too cognitive for us, detached from any sense of reality. Thanks be to God, as we learn in adult Bible study and confirmation merged today in talking about the means of grace. Thanks be to God that he provides us with another way of learning and of experiencing and having our faith strengthened. And he does that through a very concrete experience every time we are gathered around this altar. Jesus, our teacher, can each any learner of any learning style 
He can provide plenty of abstract conceptualization and intellectual knowledge for us, but he also gives us that concrete experience of the means of grace, of baptism, of hearing the word of confession and absolution impact our eardrums, making us clean and whole again so that we can live our lives in service to him. And as we prepare to gather this morning, we participate in the very death and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. First we did through our baptism. St. Paul says in Romans 6, those are baptized into Christ's death and his resurrection are united into his death and resurrection. And so we hear these cleansing words of absolution as well. And in a moment, we will even taste and see that the Lord is good in his holy feast of his body and blood given and shed for us for the remission of our sins. That means salvation and life conveyed to us here and in eternity, dear friends in Christ. This is the good news. Christ is risen.